You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Varallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. Going to have a, uh, a fun show tonight. I always enjoy this one. I know, Alex, uh, we've done these in the past. We're going to rank the top 20. Sometimes we do top 25. Sometimes we do top 20. Uh, we're going to do top 20 this year. Top 20 players with training camp approaching. Before we get into that, though, let's, let's thank our sponsor there, uh, Alex. Uh, Jet Nation Radio would like to thank our sponsor, Mile Social, for help managing all the social media platforms for your business. Check out milesocial.com. That's M-I-L-E social.com. All right, Alex, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Um, getting a little bit closer. Uh, what did you just say, about 13 days before the Jets report to some sort of football camp? Uh, I'm not sure what the details are going to entail with how it's all going to play out, but I'm getting excited. Um, you can smell football in the air. Yeah, I know from, for me, uh, I missed training camp last year. was expecting to get, get out there this year. And, man, once this COVID thing hit a couple weeks into it, I thought, you know what, I don't think this thing's going to be cleared up anytime soon. I think I said to the wife when this started, I said, I'm expecting chaos or, uh, you know, at least six months of weirdness and and a new way of going about our business. That has been the case, what what, what, about four, four months now in the U.K.? I think we locked down a few weeks before the U.S. did. And my wife and I locked down a couple of weeks, well, 10 days before the UK locked down. Um, so, yeah, crazy times. I uh, hate that I'm going to miss camp, but there are obviously more important things going on at the moment. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see. I mean, listen, Alex, we just said, I don't know if it's a rumor. I thought it was confirmed. I saw something a couple of days ago said no fans for Eagles and uh, Phillies games in Philly. So, I mean, if that's a legitimate thing, will other teams jump on board? I think I saw the Ravens and Patriots both expect to be able to see that about 20% capacity. So who knows, man? Who knows what the heck is going to happen? Good news today. I don't know if you saw it, Alex, uh, the, the company that's working on the uh, vaccine saying they, they vaccinated 45 people and all 45 of them developed antibodies. Um, and the next phase, they're going to test like 30,000 people this month or something like that. So we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, progress being made on the scientific front. That's about the extent of our conversation. That might on that. change a whole lot of things in, the, in a good way for, for NFL fans. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. And we'll talk a little bit, too, about um, feels like uh, we have to discuss in some way, shape or form every week, something about Jamal Adams. Now, there were some rumors of, of a from a, it was a Seattle Seahawks uh, beat writer, or uh, covers the Seahawks for Sports Illustrated, a writer who tweeted out that the Seahawks were definitely interested in acquiring Jamal Adams from the Jets, and there were some whispers that 40, the 49ers would be looking to do the same, and uh, no, no expectation at this point from the Dallas Cowboys because of their cap situation 
So that's completely understandable. I saw today they've offered Dak $35 million a year, $100 million guaranteed. Don't know if he's going to take that. But, um, but actually, Alex, let, let's, start off, let's start off with the Jamal stuff. I know it's getting a little bit old, but a couple things, as you just said right before we came on the air, quite surprisingly, two, three, four guys getting huge contracts, um, which yep. is really shocking to me. Because as I've said all along, I completely understand Joe Douglas and the Jets looking at this situation and saying, listen, we have no idea what the next year or two is going to bring financially um, if the cap is going to go down next year significantly. So I understand not wanting to hand a guy 17, 18, 19, 20 million, depending on what they're looking at. But I saw Derrick Henry got a deal. Didn't see the numbers on that. I literally just saw it two seconds ago. Miles um, Garrett got a million. How much? I thought I saw fifty million. I don't know what yeah, and even that, were, but I thought I saw fifty million. So it's, you know, it's a four-year deal. Okay, um, so that's that. That's not you know ten nine. Yeah, and, and you get into the guarantees and all that. But Miles Garrett gets twenty-five million. Patrick Mahomes, my goodness, Holy Patrick Lord. Mahomes. And then how do you sign Chris Jones to eighty-five million the next day? Unbelievable. Um, so we'll see what happens with with that with. Uh, I haven't looked at the breakdown of those Chiefs guys, how those those deals break down, but give them nearly $600 million in contracts in a week. That's nuts. Uh, but, yeah, so Mahomes gets a huge deal. Jones gets a huge deal. Miles Garrett gets a huge deal. Earlier in the offseason, Christian, McCaff- Christian McCaffrey got one. There was a little bit more. They wasn't quite as uncertain at that point. But I didn't think we'd see any big contracts with COVID. Uh, some owners obviously feel differently. Does that change the way you feel about Jamal Adams? I'm I'm, I'm still in the camp that, I like the idea of the Jets being responsible and saying we're, you know, we're planning if this is in fact the case, of course, I'm just speculating um, that if the Jets are looking at this and saying, we don't know what the cap will be next year. um, We don't want to hand a guy a 15 plus million dollar year contract. Um, But I did see on the forum, even if you're not on the forums on jetnation.com, you should get on the forums on the message boards. Great, great, uh, great banter back and forth on jetnation.com. Check it out. But um, someone raised a point in a thread and said, uh, Jamal Adams, given these contracts that are getting handed out, he would be crazy now to play on his rookie deal. Do you agree with that? Or you, do you think the Jets still are in a position to say, we don't want to hand out a huge deal with all the uncertainty? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it's a, it's a copycat league, and now we're seeing more players starting to get extended before they finish out their rookie deals. So is this the new norm of how, you know, players are going to put the squeeze on, on their, their teams and the general managers and, and kind of, kind of back them into a corner um, seems to be, you know, possibly a new trend that's going to happen here. Um, you know, and, and you kind of, you're looking at everything and kind of what Jamal was saying. And, you know, a lot of people gave him slack because he name dropped a couple of the players and, you know, people were kind of saying, you know, you shouldn't ask for money because Mahomes hasn't asked for money. And then a couple of weeks later, he gets the, the biggest deal in NFL history. And, you know, Miles Garrett, who was pretty much an enemy after that terrible incident where, you know, he swung his helmet at uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback. I think it was, uh, was that Mason Rudolph, I want to say. Yeah, I believe um, so. And now he gets $125 million. Um, you know, running backs don't matter has been the new narrative that I've heard over recent years. And, 
you know, Zeke, Zeke Elliott gets a huge deal, I think, about a year ago. And mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Christian McCaffrey's, you know, one of the higher-paid guys or one of the highest-paid running backs in the league. Bell got a huge contract last year. Derrick Henry just got a $50 million deal. Like, a lot of things seem – narratives seem to be changing. And um, it's very interesting because, you know, you know, don't want to dwell on the COVID situation, but not knowing what the future holds um, – seems like these teams are planning, um, you know, as the show is going to go on. Um, because why would you commit these kind of mega deals if you didn't have any sort of anticipation of, you know, having the guys play and, and earn their, those paychecks? Um, but then again, we have no idea about the language and, you know, if things are to happen and games get suspended or postponed, this and that, you know, um, how the payments are, are worked and, I thought I read something about NFL teams exercising, um, you know, putting players' contract into escrow. So who knows what that, that that's about either. So, you know, clearly these guys have, have a plan in place for whatever happens. But, you know, specifically with Jamal, um, you know, and I also heard uh, Justin Simmons, um, which is one of the top safeties out of Denver and top yes, safeties in the that. league. Uh, so, you know, if he gets a big deal, um, you know, I think that this just leans more and more tie, um, toward Jamal's favor in, in the fact that the Jets are probably going to have to end up either putting a big, putting a blank check on the table or possibly doing something that a lot of people might have mixed emotions on and, um, you know, finding a trade suitor. So, uh, I kind of feel like with all these deals that are getting thrown around, um, this is actually working to, toward Jamal's favor. Um, you know, a couple players spoke out recently in regards to that, which I'm actually very um, shocked because normally you don't see other players speaking about other guys' contracts and who knows what uh, they're allowed to say and what they're not allowed to say. You know, I know during in-season, players are really not allowed to go into in-depth about injuries. Um, you know, Jamal, when he had his high ankle sprain, oh, I'm fine, I'm good, I'll be back 100%. <laughs> Excuse me. And then at the end of the season, the first opportunity he had to talk about his ankle, he's like, oh, I wasn't the same guy. Um, I wasn't run, I wasn't 100%. You know, that, that, that was just, you know, a watered-down version of me. So <clears throat> just interesting to see Avery Williamson and uh, Le'Veon Bell in recent interviews within the last two weeks come out and say they support Jamal. They understand the business side of this, and, you know, he's playing in a very high elite top level, and the guy deserves to be paid for what he, he's done thus far. And uh, they bring up a lot of good points. Um, you know, if you look at statistically what Jamal's done, uh, you know, he and J.J. Watt within their first three seasons, no one else has as many sacks or pass deflections or – you know, whatever he has for tackles for a loss. So clearly the guy is playing at a level that not a lot of people um, can uh, replicate. So uh, I kind of feel that this is moving toward uh, his favor. Um, and, you know, like I said, it's a copycat league. So the Jets might have to fold and, and make a big deal just to, uh, you know, keep this relationship that seems to be tarnished you know, intact. In and, uh, you know, Joe Douglas did tell the world that he had plans of making Jamal a jet for life. So I guess now we have to see if he's a man of his word 
maybe he didn't mean this year, but that's how everybody took it. So um, I, I kind of have a feeling that maybe there is a uh, a universe where we will see 33 playing for, for New York this year. Yeah, I think with the Joe Douglas thing, um, you know, that was a point I, I've made that a few times about how he said he wants to make Jamal a Jet for life. Uh, but he didn't put a time frame on it like the fans did. Fans that wanted Jamal Adam signed tomorrow took it to me and is I'm going to sign Jamal tomorrow. And when Joe Douglas didn't sign him tomorrow, they were like, oh, Jamal is right to be pissed off because they said they were going to sign him tomorrow and they didn't. Like, no, they, they said they were going to sign him. You see, you, you see these deals happening now. And, and I said this last time we discussed this, maybe the Jets, maybe their plan was let's run our offseason. Let's get our rookies into camp. Let's get our rookie signed and then we'll take care of Jamal. And it wasn't happening at the pace Jamal wanted. So he's, you know, done whatever he's done. Um, but one thing to keep in mind, Alex, you know, you say, we'll find out if Joe Douglas is a man of his word. I can tell you right now, like Joe Douglas, Adam Gase, like head coaches, GM, none of them are men of their word, but they, you know, from what they tell the media, that they're going to tell the media what they feel, you know, that they're going to get the message out there that they would like to have out there. If, if Adam Gase and Joe Douglas are sitting, you know, sitting at one jet's drive, for, and I'm not saying that this is what's going on, but they could be sitting there saying, um, do either one of us want to pay a safety $19 million or do we feel like we can get an adequate replacement and use those resources elsewhere? Yeah, let's do that. And, and, and by the way, maybe get a couple premium picks for Jamal Adams in a trade. Um, sure, let's do that. Okay, so you go out, you tell the media, we, yeah, we'd love to have Jamal signed for life. You leave out the part where you say we're not in any rush to do it. And if someone makes up makes us a trade offer we like, then we'll then we'll pull the trigger. You know, it, it's not it, like what is it? Uh, lying by omission, right? Like we didn't say we weren't going to trade him. We just said we would like him to be a Jet for life. We didn't say when the deal was going to be made. We didn't say when an offer was going to be made. We didn't say we wouldn't trade him if someone made us an offer we liked. So it leaves every door open, but it gives the public, you know, impression that yeah, we want to keep Jamal. And I've said a million times, Jamal's a fantastic player. I, I guess I feel like it's. Unless Joe Douglas completely drops the ball and trades Jamal and doesn't get fair compensation, I think that's the only way they lose in this situation. If you keep Jamal, you've retained a great player. If you get fair market value, then you're getting multiple premium picks that if Joe Douglas is as good as we hope he is, that's you know a couple starting players. So, yes, Joe Douglas said he would sign him. No, he didn't say when. Um, and these guys are not beholden. I, I always give the example because it's probably one of my earliest recollections and how quickly it turned around when the Jets acquired Curtis Martin from the Patriots. They still had Adrian Morell on the roster, who just had himself a really nice year. And, um, and Bill Parcells was asked, you know, what, what do you do now that you have Morell and, and Curtis Martin? And Parcells said, look, we're in a great position now. Now we have, we have a really impressive stable of running backs. I forget who the third back was at the time. And I, it may have been longer, but it feels like about 48 hours later, Adrian Morell was traded. Like, Bill Parcells knew he was unloading Adrian Morell. These guys know what their plans are, and they just say what sounds nice publicly. And then they, uh, you know, things play out how they play out. But I, I do think it's interesting that these deals are being given out, because honestly, I didn't see it coming. I really thought teams, you know, were going to sit back and say, until we have some more answers on COVID, we're not giving out any huge contracts. And it's been quite the opposite. And uh, so we'll, we'll see how it plays out. It, it should get interesting. But let's get into, Alex, let's do our top 20. All right. We were gonna, thought, like I said, kicked around. Do we do 20? Do we, do we do 25? 
but we're going to go ahead do top 20 players on the, you will go back and forth. I'll take, um, I'll go with, uh, you, you can kick us off with your number 20 and then we'll just go back and forth and give our thoughts on, on why we have guys where we have them. And, uh, you know, just kind of elaborate a little bit. So who's your 20th guy, Alex? Okay. Um, starting it off with a new addition wide receiver, Bashad Perriman. Um, I think uh, just the way that this roster is panning out, um, not a massive amount of talent. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that he kind of makes the, the cut here and in, inside the top 20. Yeah, I mean, Perriman, listen, he's a guy that we've talked about quite a bit. The way he finished up strong last season, uh, I've, I've seen a lot of people say he's, you know, he's a one-trick pony, he's the go route, you know, kind of the same stuff we heard about Robbie. Um, but I disagree, though. I think he does more than, than people give him credit for. Um, I've got him on mine. He's a little higher than 20, but he is at the bottom end. Uh, but my, my number 20 is a guy, and I struggled with the bottom because there are a few guys that you kind of flip back and forth. Does this guy belong? Does that guy belong? But I, I went with a guy who's not even really a starter, but based on his production, his production based on his, the amount of snap, the number of snaps he played, I, I couldn't leave Kyle Phillips off my list. Um, he's going into year two, undrafted free agent out of the University of Tennessee, and was one of the top defenders in the NFL in terms of tackles for loss, despite being a part-time guy. And I just, I really liked what I saw from him. And I think that going into year two, I'm excited about this D-line. You know, we'll talk about a few of these D-linemen. But Kyle Phillips, probably the most underrated, underappreciated guy who, um, who for me, belongs in that top 20. Um, who you got at 19, Alex? Okay, we're going with uh, another wide receiver here. And this is our second round draft pick, Denzel Mims. Uh, I think that this year he's outside the top 10, but I can foresee him within a year or two cracking inside the top 10. Um, super talented. I think uh, this guy's barely scratched the surface. And, uh, you know, if everything goes according to plan, I, I think uh, we're going to be very, very happy with having a, uh, you know, a kind of catching lightning in a bottle here with Mims. Uh, big fan over here. So don't prove me wrong, Denzel. Yeah, I think he's a guy who's, uh, you know, obviously – has the ability to be a dynamic playmaker. I'm kind of expecting big things from him, you know, it's, and, and as I say all the time, when we talk about these expectations, we're talking about, you know, assuming guys stay healthy, assuming none of the key guys miss significant time. Um, I feel like if, if everyone on offense stays healthy for the most part, I think Mims is going to be in position to have himself a really nice season. Um, again, just probably just top to bottom in terms of what he brings to the table has the ability to be the best receiver Donald has played with. So we'll see how that works out in year one. Uh, my number 19 is a guy who probably would have been a top 10 for me last year and could have, was almost out of my top 20 this year. I flipped him and Phillips a couple times, but um, I'm, I'm counting on a bounce back year from Henry Anderson. He's I, And if someone leaves him off the list, I can completely understand. He was not anywhere near the player uh, last year that he was the year before. But just based on the fact that I think he's going to have a nice bounce back season, he kind of has to. If you know the Jets can cut him with no cap hit um, and save nine million going into next year, so he's got to play lights out if he wants that money. I honestly don't see him playing well enough to earn that nine million. And I think I don't think he'll be a Jet after this year. But I think with that nine million on the line, 
And with getting some pieces back on defense, I think we're going to see a big year out of Henry Anderson. And uh, he, he cracks my top 20. He's at number 19. Um, who do you got at 18, Alex? All right. At 18, I'm going with Greg Van Roten, our new offensive lineman. Uh, I have a strong feeling that he is going to win the right guard position. Um, it's just an early prediction that I have here. Uh, I think the only guy that's standing in his way right now is veteran Brian Winters. Uh, and at the end of the day, if he doesn't end up, uh, you know, winning a offensive line job, you know, then possibly it'll be between him and Alex Lewis for that left guard spot. Only time will tell. But uh, I do feel that as far as the collective group that we have with his experience, um, that is going to weigh heavy into the factor of putting out the best five. Um, we, we know about Winter's injury history. So uh, I just kind of feel that uh, GVR is going to have a big role with this uh, front five this year. Yeah, he's, he's uh, an underrated signing, I think. I've heard a lot of people refer to him, you know, he's a backup player. He's not really that good. I feel like he's, you know, early on in his career he, he was, but he did earn himself a starting spot with Carolina before getting injured. And I, I kind of felt the same way. I really, I thought, I thought Brian Winters wouldn't be a Jet right now. Um, the fact that the Jets have allowed him to hang around makes me wonder if they really do like him enough to win that spot. But if GVR can win that spot, that would be nice. You know, um, doesn't have as many miles as Winters does. And let's face it, as much as you love Brian Winters, the person, the, you know, the, the, the toughness and all that, he just hasn't been very good for a few years now, which is a shame. Um, so if GVR can step up and take that job, that would be – I don't think anybody would have a problem with that. Um, for me, I'm, this is, I'm going on the offensive line here as well. And I'm going with our guy Becton. Uh, you know, could have gone higher. I always have a really hard time, Alex. And uh, are we on this, seventeen uh, or eighteen? Seventeen. I'm sorry. No, this is my. This is eighteen for me. Um, Phillips oh, Anderson. Sorry. I skipped one. I also have Mackay Becton at eighteen because he's a mammoth of a man. So I guess my seventeen is GBR. So <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. One, okay, so you have Becton and GBR. I'll go ahead yep. and give my uh, my eighteen and seventeen then. Um, so eighteen Becton. You know, we know the hype, we know the size, we know the film, we're watching them ragdoll defenders. That won't be the case. Exactly, exactly. That, you know, you don't expect that to be the case at the pro level, but you do expect him to be a damn good player at the 11th overall pick, given the physical tools. So I've got Becton there at 18, and then at 17, I've got Denzel Mims. Um yeah, sorry, Denzel Mims, who we talked about or who I talked about just a minute ago. Not really a lot more to say there. Young, explosive guy, great vertical, can high point the ball, and just a guy who should be able to make explosive plays in, uh, you know, for uh, for this offense for years to come, or at least that that is the hope. So the the Jets' first and second rounders are my 18 and 17 with Becton and Mims. Okay, so we already know who my 17 is, GVR, so that brings us to number 16. And this one here, um, kind of ironic how last year I had predicted that he was going to be a practice squad player and outside the top 53, and he had a phenomenal defensive year. Um, uh, And if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm talking about Solorenzo Fadakasi, uh, you want to talk about somebody that can uh, pretty much 
stop the run, plug the gap, you know, make running backs' lives extremely difficult. Uh, that's exactly what Foley did last year. He was a tone setter, and I think a lot of the things that he did in the interior aspect of the defense opened up plays for, you know, other guys out there. And I, I think that um, under Greg Williams, uh, I think that he's only going to continue to improve his play. Yeah, he's a guy that, you know, these inside guys don't get enough credit. I actually uh, tweeted out earlier today, I saw Seth Walder, I believe, who's um, who used to cover the Jets beat, uh, put up a number saying he, he'd just seen that the Jets defense against the run was number one in the NFL in some, I, I don't even, I don't even recall the metric, but he just was, he was kind of shocked. Like, you know, like, I can't believe that's the case. And I just kind of, I said, look, you know, these guys, because, because there are no stats or points for it in fantasy football, people aren't aware of guys like, like Fatakasi, like Nathan Shepard, who had a really good year, like Steve McClendon, um, you know, even Quinn and Williams. Um, but, but these guys don't get enough credit. They're a really good group. And Fatakasi is to me, that guy was an absolute beast this year. So I don't see how, uh, how he won't make a, a huge leap going into next year. And I'm, I know that uh, for me personally, he's one of the young guys I'm excited about watching. And I've got, let's see, so we're up to 17 now, or, well, 16. Correct. Yeah, so so my 16 is, uh, I'm going with Perryman. You had him a little lower on the list. I'm going with him here. And, I again, the, his strong finish to the season last year, his explosiveness, I think that he's going to be a guy who is going to give some guys some room to work with underneath. Everyone says, well, he put up those numbers because, you know, he played in Tampa where they had so many weapons. Look, a lot of guys got hurt. He became the top guy for the last few weeks of the season and uh, averaged around 100 yards a game over the last four or five games of the season. So um, you hope it's not a flash in the pan. Jets only brought him in on a one-year deal, so there's not a huge commitment there. But I think I think that he's a guy who can be a big difference maker on offense. Okay, so we're moving to 15. And yep. some people get this reference. Not a lot of people um, may not understand what I'm about to say here, but this is the six-finger man, somebody that might have been forgotten um, in some people's minds, um, and that is our tight end, Chris Herndon. Um, now, what, the reason why I call him the six-finger man is he was born with actually six fingers, and he had to have one of them amputated when he was a young kid. So <laughs> that's why I read that story a long time ago. I think it was Olivia Landis that was doing the interview and, and kind of broke the story on that one. But... Um, yeah, I, I really feel that even though he missed out pretty much all of last year um, due to a you know stupid mistake his rookie year getting a DWI um, after the draft, and then after he completed his suspension, he immediately got hurt the Friday before he was about to get activated doing like gassers, you know, you know, um, sprinting and trying to work on his conditioning. He, I believe, he tweaked a hamstring, so. He missed some more time, and when he did get activated, um, I don't think he made it through that first game that he played for. He got injured very early in that first half, and we didn't. Yeah, see he played him against the Giants. He had one catch. Yep, he got pretty pretty gnarly hit too, and then uh, that was it. So you know, I remember the connection that him and Sam had on the back end of their rookie year. Um, there was some chemistry there. He became this guy that was 
someone that you had to keep an eye on in the red zone. He was getting open underneath and in between um, that linebacker and safety area. And, you know, a lot of people, uh, the way that they run their defense, is sometimes they'll just let, they'll let the tight end go out and see what they can do because, you know, there's not a lot of superb, crazy athletic tight ends out there that are doing stuff that, like, George Kittle and, and Kelsey are doing. So, you know, I kind of feel that we have somebody here with a lot of potential. If he stays healthy this year, and that's one of the key factors, I really think that Chris Herndon is going to uh, help this offense, you know, get out from, from the 32nd ranked in 2019. All right, and I'm going up. Uh, I've got number my number 15 is a guy we did talk about in Foley Fadakasi. That's where I have him. I think if he's every down player, you might even be, I might even put him higher on that list. But I think we know that he won't be. He'll be a rotational guy. But he's going to be a big part of what they do. And it is. It's those big guys up front that allow the linebackers, that allow a guy like Jamal Adams uh, to come up when he's in the box to make plays in the backfield. And you just watch him last year, that game against the Giants. He looked absolutely fantastic. Um, had, you know, saw him get quite a few – had quite a few plays where he was able to just move the, you know, the center of the guard back into the pocket, put a guy on skates. And, uh, you know, little things like that that don't show up in the box score, but you see a, a quarterback's rhythm getting thrown off by the things he was doing. So super unappreciated guy. I, and I remember his rookie year seeing him at camp and coming on and saying that I wasn't sure how good he was going to be, but I just said the guy was as strong as an ox. Like his strength was, was so evident, the way he was able to hold his ground and or, you know, move guys around in, in one-on-one drills and practice. So nice to see him coming along and really just comes across as a good, like a good dude, like hard, hard not to root for kind of guy. So I've got uh, Foley Fadakasi at my 15 and Alex, that brings us to your 14. Okay. So this is going to big baby Quinn and Williams. Um, last year he had a uh, rough year, early ankle injury. I think it slowed him down big time. Uh, Greg Williams recently had an interview about a week or two ago, probably about two weeks ago. And, uh, you know, he kind of made his rounds talking about all these players. And one of the things he emphasized on is the difference of, how, you know, how much that set him back and it slowed him down. And he thinks that, you know, he's going to come back this year focused, hopefully healthy, and really, really show all the fans the reason why he was a top three selection. Um, in his draft class. Um, So, you know, the interesting thing was is when the Jets were playing at that elite level defensively between that, you know, November to December period, uh, you know, guys like Foley and Quinnen and Kyle Phillips and McClendon, you know, these were the guys that were just dominating up front and winning in the trenches. So I I have a feeling that this year – you know, he's another one of those players that seems to find himself outside the top uh, 10 this year, but I could, I could see him uh, being in the top 10 next year if, if all goes to plan. All right, and I've got in that same spot, I've got a guy again, another player looking for a bounce-back season, a guy who, if he's, if he's healthy, could be a top 10 guy on this roster, um, but he's, just, he's coming off of a down year, but Pierre Desir, and he's, he's one of the biggest keys on this defense because, let's face it, the Jets need a, a legitimate number one corner. And whether or not this year can be that, you know, 
he did at times a couple of years ago look like that's what he could be, um, but struggled quite a bit last season. And, you know, he's one of those guys, I think I mentioned earlier in the offseason, Alex, as much as we've talked about liking the fact that the Jets, that Joe Douglas went out and got a lot of guys who were like sort of, you know, low risk, high reward on one year deals. This here's the biggest one that jumps out to me because I just look at him and I think for as well as he played two years ago and the fact that he plays uh, a premium position, how in the world was there not a team willing to give him a little bit more than what the Jets gave him? Um, it really surprised me how little they paid to get a guy who was very highly thought of just two seasons ago. So I have this year up there and, and hoping for a bounce back season for him. Okay. And we're at number 13 now. Correct. Okay. So we're going with the legendary hall, future hall of famer, Frank Gore. Um, what hasn't this guy done? He's had a phenomenal career. Uh, I think he's going to be a leader uh, for our running backs. And I think he's going to be an asset as far as getting some guys familiar with blocking schemes and, you know, pass blocking, you know, specifically. I know it seems kind of odd of uh, what could he do to teach Le'Veon Bell, but I'm, I'm pretty sure a guy with this track history in the NFL can, can teach Bell a thing or two. And I think he could probably give, excuse me, certain players a better understanding of uh, this Rubik's cube of an offensive uh, playbook that Adam Gase has put together. So, you know, he may not be the 25 year old version dominator running back that he used to be, but I think a guy that can come in in the pinch you really can't find anybody that, that that's done it better than, than him throughout his career. Um, just a stand-up guy, and I think that he's going to be a quality asset to this locker room. All right, and that's in that same spot, I've got a guy you already have. I've got him a little higher on my list, Quinnen Williams. But Quinnen Williams, I'll tell you what, he's a guy that if he, uh, if he has the type of year I'm expecting from him this year, then he'll be on this. He'll be top three or four on this list next year. I think he has that much talent. I think he's that good. And you know, the thing I love about about Quinnen Williams is just just the demeanor. He's just like a, he's out there having fun. He does interviews. He's having fun. He's playing football. He's having fun. Um, see, you know, comes across just a down to earth team guy. So he, he's a dude that you know, again, kind kind of along the lines earlier. I was saying Foley Fadakasi hard guy not to root for. And I really do think that, you know, you look at the work he's putting in this off season, he did need to get stronger. It looks like he's doing that. And I'll tell you what, man, people, people who are down on Quinn and Williams. I mean, you talk about jumping ship too early on a guy. I think he's going to be special. And I think that we're going to see some of that this year out of him. And, you know, he's one of those guys where if, if he plays to that potential and a guy like this year stays healthy and, you know, a guy who of course we'll mention later in Mosley, these guys stay healthy. His defense has an opportunity to be special, and he, he could be a big part of that. Definitely. Um, are we up to 12 now? Indeed, number 12. Okay, great. Um, this is, I guess this is the uh, leadership segment here because I'm going with Steve McClendon here at number 12. Um, you and I have talked about this guy at length. Uh, regardless of, you know, uh, what you look at when you're observing his stats, uh, what he does, keeping this locker room in check, and then going out there and keeping the intensity on defense uh, where it needs to be. 
uh, Steve McClendon. I, I wish he started out uh, as a Jet uh, because I feel like our defense uh, might have been better in some of those rough years that we had. But, uh, you know, I'm glad he came to us when he did. And I, I think one of the, the best moves that the Jets could have made um, within the last year or two was keeping this guy around. Um, he's getting a little bit older, but, you know, fortunately for him, uh, he's got a, a you know good group of guys that he can rotate with and stay fresh all season. All right. For my next one, my next player is going to be a guy that you did mention. And to me, and you may you may have seen I tweeted this the other day, Alex. Assuming everyone, assuming the O line stays healthy, I know I know the blocking's got to be there. But to me, the single most important player on offense behind Sam Darnold, Chris Herndon. You talked about him earlier. You look at what teams are doing right now. You look at team, and this is why part of the reason why I say that all this talk about how you have to have a number one receiver, I believe, is overrated, especially this yep. day and age. You saw the Eagles win the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Leading receiver was Zach Ertz. You know the, the the you know the Chiefs last year, of course, were a little bit of an, an anomaly because they have a you know a quarterback who can throw the ball a mile and 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 a, a, a track team lining up a wide receiver. But Kelsey was still a huge part of that. You look at the Patriots were able to do with Gronk. Like, if, and I'm not putting Herndon on that level. I'm just saying if you have a high level tight end. You've got to have that in today's NFL to win football games. A guy who can create mismatches, and Herndon is a guy he can he can block plenty. So he you can line him up in line, you can line him up in the slot, you can line him up at, at H back, which we saw a little bit of that. So Herndon is a guy who you can move around. He can catch the football. He can make plays with the ball in his hands. He can be a blocker, basically an every down guy, not a liability in any way. And if he's making plays in the middle of the field. Defense is going to have to respect that, and that's where things get a little bit easier for a guy like Denzel Mims, who's you know a, coming into his first year, and, and even a guy like Perriman. So I think I think Herndon becomes the key this season uh, on offense for the Jets. If he's healthy, I think they have a chance to be uh, really good on offense. Um, of course, you know depending on other factors, but I think he is the biggest key uh, to the offense behind Sam Darnold, of course. Okay. So before I get into my number 11 here, I just want to validate your point because um, all these people that seem to see, well, they seem to think, you know, and I, I feel like this is a Madden statement here. You know, Sam Darnold needs the number one wide receiver. He needs the next Julio Jones, this, that. Okay. The Kansas City Chiefs just won a Super Bowl last year where their top wide receiver who apparently is Tyreek Hill, who has been primarily known or called a gadget player, you know, can is a burner. Um, had 58 receptions and 860 yards. His number one receiving guy was their tight end, Travis Kelsey, with 1,200 yards and, and seven TDs, or, I believe, or five TDs, sorry. So that just proves it right there. Um, if you have a quality, good tight end, a strong running game, and a quarterback that can make plays, and like Sam Darnold can do, um, you can negate that that number one wide receiver factor. And, uh, you know, look at the Chiefs as a great example for that. But, and and uh, the fact that they could be special with, with, with not to cut you off, Alex, but staying on that tight end thing, like a guy like Griffin, he had himself a really nice season. You know, and that was as the number one. You you move him to be your number two and pair him with Herndon, uh, you know, that that's going to give you some options on offense. That's why, you know, I'm, I'm in the sort of uh, – no excuses for Gase camp because I don't, yeah. you may not have a number one receiver, 
But you've got, you know, when, when you talk about Griffin, Herndon, um, you know, if you want to move Le'Veon Bell into the, out, you know, out of the backfield and line him up at receiver, Jamison Crowder, you've got, hell, Perriman and Mims, they don't even have, they don't have to, they just have to be, they have to be solid. That's it. And then you've got three, four, five other guys who really could be legitimate targets. And I, you know, I'm sure Vincent Smith won't make our list, but he's a guy that I look at and I'm like, this guy might be something here. And I think the Jets do have some high hopes for him. So I like the targets on offense more than most people do. Yeah, give me four or five twos rather than one big one wide receiver one and then a bunch of guys that should be like wide receiver four or five. Um, I'll take those kind of players all day long. Um, and like you said, if if this all works out according to plan, if you have, you know, deep threats on the outside and Mims and Perriman, guys like Bell and Herndon and Crowder are going to see lots of targets in open space, you know, in 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 that medium area, in those medium zones. And that's kind of where Sam Darnold has done some of his best work. So, yeah, Absolutely. I'm all about that, that philosophy of you need to have that number one guy like an Odell Beckham and things like that. Uh, I, I think there's, there's ways that you can work around that and still be successful. Absolutely. All right. So going to my number 11 here, somebody that you mentioned not too long ago, I'm going to put in Pierre Desir here. Uh, you know, this is this is not a you know all world talent at cornerback here, but we we clearly know with the past few seasons that we've had, uh, you know, it's been pretty brutal. Uh, Tremaine Johnson didn't work out. Uh, Daryl Roberts just you know always seemed to uh, punish himself in the team uh, by you know creating late penalties. And you know that's the funny thing is that the guy could play 99 snaps on defense. And the one snap that, that he makes a mistake on is the one that costs us big. Um, so hopefully this year, um, with his experience, we, we find some more quality play on the outside. And with better coverage, you know, a lot of good things can come from better coverage on the outside. Um, more sacks, um, less opportunities for the quarterback. We're going to have to force the ball into tougher uh, windows and create more turnovers. Uh, a lot of good things can happen when you've got quality outside corner play. And that's what I'm anticipating with that uh, Pierre Desir this year. All right. So that brings me to my 11. And it's uh, one of my favorites, a guy who you did mention, uh, Steve McClendon. Middle of that defense. He, to me, I know all the talk is about Jamal. Jamal being the leader of this defense. For my money, if I'm, if I'm running a team and I can choose between a Jamal Adams and a Steve McClendon to lead my team, give me Steve McClendon every time. And I've seen him, you know, people say, somebody said to me one time, oh, it's, you know, he's too quiet. He doesn't say enough. And I say, listen, man, just because he doesn't talk on Twitter doesn't mean he doesn't talk. Um, that's one of the things I've enjoyed about being at, at uh, being at camp the years I've been able to get there the last couple of years is Steve McClendon, you know, a couple times I've seen him stop a practice, call everybody in and just, you know, put a boot in somebody's ass. And Steve McClendon will not hesitate to get in somebody's face and tell them they're not getting the job done. So he might be the mild-mannered guy, you know, when he's talking to the media, at his locker, on a radio interview, super, you know, ultimate professional, pros pro, quiet guy, love it, knows how to conduct himself. On the field, totally different story. If something needs to be said or done, he'll say it or do it. And the guy just outplays his contract, outperforms, you know, what most people expect of him. He's a guy that not a lot of people talk about. I've been saying for years, you know, from, from the year they signed him, his first season with the Jets every week, 
I was like, this guy's so underrated. This guy's so he doesn't get enough doesn't get enough credit. Um, but it's every year PFF man, he's he's a guy who ranks a lot higher than well. If you ask the average fan, I think they'd be surprised to see how well he grades out. And if you watch him on film, you see why. And like I said, leads on the field, um, a professional when he deals with the media. Just uh, he, he's the type of guy I want. I don't I don't need the the flamboyant loud guy who's you know kind of comes across as being a little bit more about himself than the team. To me, McClendon, ultimate pro, love him. I've said a million times, I hope the second he retires, the Jets give him a deal to bring him on the staff as a coach. Absolutely. I think that he would be a phenomenal addition. You know, Jets have kind of had some really, really good quality, experienced guys, player coaches that they've brought in throughout the last couple of years to, to help players along. And, you know, I definitely like the fact that Heinz Ward now seems to have a place in our lot, um, you know, in our locker room and uh, definitely you got to get Steve involved. Um, you know, I know they had brick in there. They got Calvin pace up in there. So a lot, a lot of good things. Um, and I definitely would love to see him, you know, continuing to help these guys like Quinn Williams and Foley, you know, when he decides to hang up his hat, that definitely should be in, in the, the plan. Okay. So I guess we're inside our top 10 now. All right, great. We are. All right, so to kick off number 10, I'm going to have to go with Brian Poole, um, somebody that, you know, we were really kind of unsure of uh, last year going into camp. Uh, we saw some some things with him at free safety, kind of like a dime uh, cornerback, uh, kind of had a little bit of nickel presence when he was playing in Atlanta. Um, you know, he got his opportunity, uh, I believe, when uh, one of their premier safeties, I want to say Keanu Neal, had gotten hurt, um, and he had to kind of step up and, and be the next man up, and this is why he's on our team. You know, he played well enough to get himself a uh, show-me kind of deal last year, and you have to say they were probably one of the best free agent acquisitions that we made uh, was Brian Poole last year, and we're – you know, it was kind of interesting how we only did the one year. I think it was, what, 4 to $5 million he got uh, for this year. Um, would have thought the Jets might have done something two to three years. Uh, but when you have a group like that with May and Adams, you have Poole, um, we're, we're anticipating, you know, a big step up from Bless Austin this year. And then you bring in a guy like Desir, uh, you know, as a collaborative group, uh, that could end up being something really, really solid for this defense. And, you know, that could possibly be one of the stronger uh, defensive back groups uh, in the AFC. So uh, he's a he's a big guy uh, as far as, you know, helping in the run. He had some turnovers. He had a defensive touchdown last year. Just You just saw him make plays uh, week in and week out. And, you know, that's why we brought him back this year. And I hope that, you know, he can do – exactly what he did last year and maybe a little bit more. All right. In that spot, I've got Jordan Jenkins, a guy who led the team in sacks and then went into free agency. I was way off the mark. I honestly thought that given his production and the lack of pass rushers in the NFL, I thought he would get a $10 million a year deal. He didn't get anywhere near that. Nobody, you know, the Giants sniffed around a little bit. He ended up coming back to the Jets for a few million on a one-year deal. Um, hope he has himself a big season. You know, he's a guy strong against the run. Now, you know, he'll get – if he's going to get get eight sacks, maybe he gets you ten one day. 
he's not a Von Miller type. He's not blowing past anybody, but the effort is there, the constant effort, high character guy. Um, so he's a guy that, you know, I don't think the eight sacks isn't, isn't the traditional sort of, you know, pass rush, pass rush specialist type, but uh, he is a guy who, you know, with enough effort, he'll make some plays. And I think that he's a guy who's going to be playing with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder this year after not getting the deal he wanted. So that brings us to year nine and we may have to speed it up, yeah. Alex, because uh, time flies when you're having fun. We got about 12 minutes left on the air here. Oh, okay. So let's kick in the lightning round. Um, so my number nine is your number 10, um, Jordan Jenkins. Uh, basically everything that you said, uh, I think that if it wasn't for uh, his early injury that he had in uh, September and October, that kind of slowed him down. And I think he missed a game or two, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I really feel that he would have had double-digit sacks last year. And if you go and you look at that stretch where Jamal um, had, like, you know, a sack for, like, three weeks in a row, if you noticed who the guy was right there that could have could have beat him there was about a half a second off, that was Jordan Jenkins. And I think he made a comment after one of his games, and he said, well, you know, it's all good, but he keeps stealing my sacks. But, uh, you know, I'm happy for him. I think that was kind of – um, what he had said in a joking manner. Uh, but, yeah, Jordan was playing at a very, very high level within certain weeks of last year. And uh, I, I'm i going to pound the table here, and I'm going to think he cracks uh, 10 sacks this year. Yeah, I think I, I think I predicted that for him last year and uh, came up short, as you said, missed a couple games, finished with eight sacks. Would love to see him get a 10-sack season. We'll see how that pans out. Uh, my next guy, number nine, is Marcus May entering the final year of his rookie deal. Seemed a little bit miffed a couple weeks ago when he was getting all, all of a sudden he was everyone's favorite jet safety because of the Jamal Adams issue. But uh, again, quiet pro goes about his, goes about his work, lets his play do his talking for him. And as much as, you know, and I, I said this a million times last year, I felt like the, the, the injury prone label was unfair to him. The guy's been in the league three years. He's played every single game, two of the three years, and I still hear people say he's made out of glass because he missed some time in year two. He missed a lot of time in year two, granted. But you know what? It's the NFL. Guys get hurt. He's played 16 out of 16 games, two out of three years. In my book, that is not injury prone. And he'll be, uh, you know, playing for his new deal. So could be a big year for Marcus May. Who do you got next, Alex? You're number eight. Okay. Uh, this is one of Sam Darnold's go-to guys, Jameson Crowder. Um, really had a good season for himself. Uh, you know, after being injured the year before and only participating in eight, nine games, I believe, um, he did a full 16 for us. And, he, yeah, he played phenomenal. He was, you know, at week one, I mean, how many catches did he have, like 15 or something crazy like that? It was 14, so, yeah. 14, something like that, yeah. But, of course, uh, so, in <laughs> typical Jet style, I believe it was four, the most catches a player has ever had without breaking 100 yards. Yes, there you go. Only the Jets. Even when, even when the Jets, Jets do something impressive, that. they screw it up. hundred <laughs> percent. So, yeah, I'm expecting another, uh, you know, repeat year of just quality play from him. Uh, you know, when 82 is out on the field, number 14 has got eyes on him. And I think that that's a great connection. And I think that's going to build this year as well. All right. My next guy is... A guy you've already covered, Brian Poole, corner slot guy. Another guy that I thought would get, coming off the year he had, I expected him to kind of command eight, nine, ten million. 
came back again, one-year deal, short deal. If he plays that well again, I could see him getting a multi-year contract. So here's the hoping he uh, he does that again. And we should be up to year seven, Alex. Number seven. Okay, we're going with all day, May. Um, you know, really, really great season for the guy. Um, he defied that, that injury bug that everybody likes to talk about. Uh, very, very highly rated and talked about uh, on a PFF status. Um, the guy may not show, you know, six, seven interceptions like some other, you know, ball hawk center fielders, but I, I just kind of feel that he's a stand-up guy. And, and the way he played down the stretch last year, um, I think we could all say that, you know, one of the main reasons why we won that, that game against Pittsburgh uh, was because of his quality coverage down the stretch. Yeah, he, had, um, when, he, he when made some big plays up, in that game. He made some really, really big plays. So um, hoping that, you know, Marcus May playing for a contract here, um, hopefully we, we see, you know, the best of the best out of him. All right. And moving to the offensive line for me, Connor McGovern, center. He's a guy that should finally bring some stability to that position after some disastrous seasons following the retirement of Nick Mangold, um, Wesley Johnson bombed, Spencer Long bombed, and Ryan Khalil may have been worse than all of them. So now you bring in McGovern, and I think fans are, you know, uh, he is a welcome sight, uh, a capable center who shouldn't be, you know, the, the liability that the last three or four guys were. Who you got next, Alex? Okay, so my number six is your number seven, Connor McGovern. Uh, like you said, he he's going to get it all together for us and, and keep Sam upright. And I don't know specifically what the stats are, but I know that he was one of the least penalized centers in the last two years. Uh, I'm hoping that he continues that quality play. We need to get smarter. We need to get better up front. And I think that all starts with Connor. All right. And I've got at my number six, Avery Williamson, linebacker, inside linebacker, coming back off an injury, missed the entire season. Another player that I really thought would be out on the street, well, or with another team, I should say, by this point, given the fact that he's due to make $6.5 million and the Jets could save every penny of that. Um, I really thought, Alex, and this is something we'll talk about in a later show, um, and I'll, I'll move along here because we're down to about uh, six minutes, but I thought that uh, having a lack of a preseason or not a real preseason, I think the Jets maybe wanted to use the preseason to showcase Williams and maybe deal him. Um, but that obviously won't be happening, or it's very unlikely it'll happen now, which is good because I, I want to see I want to see Mosley and Williams or Williamson uh, every down for a full season. I think they can be dominant. Who was your number five? My number five is your number six, Avery Williamson. Everything you said and then some. Um, hopefully that he has a bounce back here after that knee injury, and you know we could just build on what we had last year as far as you know having that dominant, uh, you know up front in the trenches. So I think Williamson can only help us uh, improve on that. All right. My number five guy you've already talked about, Jameson Crowder. I think uh, he had his best year as a pro last year. I think he can, uh, you know, will those numbers be the same this year? Tough to say because if Herndon's healthy, if Griffin's healthy, if Perriman and Mims are, you know, chemistry, that's going to mean, you know, Sam Donald's going to have more viable targets than he had last year. So that may see a, a reduction for Crowder, but Maybe that chemistry and Adam Gase's play calling. We do know that Gase likes, you know, Gase will often call plays, uh, you know, the, the intermediate stuff. Um, not to say they don't they don't throw the ball deep as well, 
but Gase does like the intermediate stuff. Darnold does have some chemistry with Crowder, so that could lead to another big year for him. Okay, so uh, my number four coming up here is our signal caller, Sam Darnold, um, soon to be the number one player, I I would hope, within the next year or two. Um, Sam's got nothing but the whole world ahead of him here. Had a really, really rough fault last year with the, you know, the mono and all the just nagging little injuries he had, but the kids tough as nails and uh, definitely deserves to be within inside the top five for this team. And same for me, Sam Donald, number four. So I'm guessing we've got the same three players in the top three. It's just a matter of whether or not we have them in the same order. Mm-hmm. I've got bell Mosley Adams, the three, two. Yeah. What do you have, Alex? I have Mosley, Bell, and Adam. So we, we almost had it right. I think we were kind of close on, on our top 20 this year. Um, the, what was the difference we had here? You had Kyle, Kyle Phillips? I had Phillips 20? and Henry Anderson, and it looks like you had oh, GVR and Frank Gore. Okay. All right. So there's Gore, the to me, I, I, I considered Gore, but looking at his numbers over the second half last year, I know he brings leadership and all that, but I think he was at like 2.6 or – under three yards of carry in the second half last year. Um, so did Father Time catch up with him, perhaps. Um, but we'll see. You know, as I said, I, I wasn't happy when they made that move. And I said it at the time. has nothing to do with the person. Love Frank Gore. Love the work ethic. Love the examples he'll set. Love having a guy like that in the locker room. But um, for a 37-year-old back at three yards of carry over the second half of the season, I just wondered if that roster spot could be used more wisely and, uh, and let some other guys do the leading but, um, you know, it is what it is. Um, that rounds out our top 20, and those are the two differences. I, you didn't have Kyle Phillips or Henry Anderson. I did not have GVR or Frank Gore. The other 18 matched. Our top four were identical, with the exception of you having Bell 2, Mosley 3. I had Mosley 2, Bell 3. We both had Adams 1. We both had Darnold 4. And that will wrap things up for us this week. Alex, you got anything else for us? Hey, just, you know, another great week. Um, excited to see what Le'Veon Bell uh, kind of threw out there this week. Um, he, he pinned up the Madden rating, and, and he's uh, using that as, you know, fuel for his fire this year. Uh, he looks to be in great shape, and I'm really, really looking forward to seeing uh, a rejuvenated uh, Le'Veon Bell this season. So let's go. All right, Alex. Thanks so much for tuning in, Jets fans. We will catch you Back here again next week. Have a good one.